It was my 87th birthday when my sister Sarah walked into the meeting room of the Carnegie Library. Somehow she was still a young girl of about 15, with pale blonde hair and a single braid down her back, just as she'd been when she scrambled up the climbing tree in the backyard and tossed apples to me on the ground down below. Of course I knew it couldn't actually be my sister. Perhaps the Sarah sighting was yet another side effect of aging. After all, the older I've become, the more everyone I come across reminds me of someone I once loved. I had no inkling that the girl with the braid might change everything. The day had begun like any other, my birthday notwithstanding. When the doctor called about the results of my recent bone density scan, I was grateful for the tiny touch of humanity all the same. So, it's official, I said, upon hearing the news. You're saying I'm a little old lady. The doctor chuckled before pushing another pill. This one for osteoporosis which may prevent a hip fracture and cause sudden irreversible blindness in certain susceptible people. Frankly, at this point in my life, I would welcome a hip fracture, just so long as it's fatal, I replied. Mrs. Browning, are you depressed? The doctor asked, quite seriously, bless her heart. So I fibbed a little and said to this kind young lady, who is probably about half the age of my son David, My dear, much the way a youngster anticipates a birthday, I can't help but be a bit curious as to what exactly will be my end. You may have the luxury of distraction, but for me, death is my next big event. As the doctor grew silent, I waited for her to stop documenting our conversation into that godforsaken computer, waited for the gladness to arrive in her voice when it might dawn on her that the date of my birth matched the day of her call. Mrs. Browning, she finally said, are you suicidal? Which was so far from the good wishes I'd been hoping for that I laughed. The joke was on me. I reassured her that I had absolutely no intention of ruining the surprise. While the appeal of living forever was long lost on me, it wasn't as if I didn't value my existence. I had things to look forward to. Or, well, one thing, which was my writer's group, a weekly gathering of senior citizens who struggled to write their memoirs. Herb Shepard wrote about growing up in Pittsburgh, back when we played kick the can in the streets and had to bring all of our laundry in before noon, before our shirts turned black with soot from the steel mills. Viktor Chenkovich wrote heart-wrenching personal essays about his days in a concentration camp, Jean Fester wrote dreadful prose about her myriad health problems that hadn't as of yet been fatal. And of course it was the other Jean, Jean Roskemp, who mostly seemed to show up for the women, or young ladies, as he called us with a wink. No one had hopes of publication. No one, that is, except for Selina Markman, who wrote novellas about domestic violence with happy endings, wherein the attacker always appeared remorseful, bearing diamonds. They didn't ask me to lead the group because I was a published essayist. None of them had read my book. Nor could they find it anywhere since the publisher christened it Miss Bixby Takes a Wife, after my tongue-in-cheek essay about how men weren't the only ones who needed a doting partner to pick up after them.
Even before it went out of print in 1958, the collection of essays never got much press, apart from a handful of derogatory reviews, claiming that it was a lesbian manifesto that stole the angel in the house right out from under Virginia Woolf. They didn't ask me to lead the group because they adored my writing. In fact, during the eleven years that I had belonged to the group, I had only turned in a single short story. Whenever I would pick up a pen to begin, it would rattle across the page in my shaky hand, leaving nothing of consequence behind. The real reason I ran the show every Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Squirrel Hill Library I told them that in my former life, I'd been the senior editor of a now-defunct New York publishing house. It was an offhand remark I'd once made to Gene Roskemp after he'd introduced himself in the mailroom of our high-rise apartment building. Where are you from? he'd asked, pumping my hand as I clutched my catalogs and bills, startled by the intrusion of this big-bellied, white-haired stranger in such a small space. Nevertheless, I appreciated the question. It was the first time since I'd moved back to Pittsburgh that someone had assumed I'd never been anywhere else.